We are concluding our sermon series, Hashtag Squad Goals. Hopefully you've been enjoying yourselves, but we've been enjoying ourselves sharing this sermon series. And so we're going to move right on in. So we've, we've talked about, our first week we talked about loving our church, and we wore our vision t-shirts and stuff. And then we talked about loving our, we talked about loving our spouse and how difficult that can be from time to time. <laughs> Last week we talked about loving our friends, and this week we're talking about loving our family. Another tough topic. So we're going to just pray, and we're going to get right on into this. So Heavenly Father, God, we say thank you, God, again, for how good you are and that we have the opportunity and privilege of God of listening to your word today. And Lord, we ask that you'd speak through me, and uh, God, let me just uh, rightly, um, God, just share what you've placed on my heart, God. And so we say we love you. Have your way in Jesus' name. Amen. Do you know that, out of all these things, you know that our family can sometimes be the hardest to love? Sometimes it's easier to love people that don't know you because they don't know your business, they don't know your junk, they don't know your flaws. So sometimes it's easier to love people from a distance. So it's easier sometimes to love other people other than your own family. And why is that? Because, again, you know, flaws, ups and downs, emotions, you know, they know our weaknesses. Uh, you know, we can have arguments and anger outbursts and all these things. And so loving our family the way that God wants us to love them can be extremely difficult. Extremely difficult. Mainly because, I'm sure you've probably heard of this before, because familiarity breeds contempt. Right? Have you ever heard that before? familiarity breeds contempt. What does that mean? That basically just means that, you know, when you have extensive knowledge of a close association with someone, you know, it can lead to you oftentimes having disrespect towards them because you see their best, you see their worst, you see their all. And so sometimes when you get familiar with somebody, you can find yourselves losing respect for them. Has anyone here ever been in that boat where maybe you have found yourself Losing respect for someone because of your close association with them. Am I the only one? Wait, wait, there's two, three, four. Every hand's coming up. Thank you. I don't feel alone. Because it's just, it's just something that's very common for all of us that can happen. It happens in marriage relationships where you was with a person that, man, they could do no wrong. And then after you said, I do, and, and, and then all of a sudden everything that they did was wrong. You know, I mean, we can find this. This can happen in relationship between child and parent. You know, perhaps the parent shows themselves a certain way when they're out, you know, uh, in society, maybe at their job and this, that, and the other. But then when they're at home, there's a whole different side that nobody sees. So it causes a child to, to start having contempt towards their parent because they're fake. This can happen. So each of us are susceptible, blah, susceptible to this because... The enemy wants to, to allow us to put our guard down. Say this with me. Say, guard down. Guard down. That's usually what happens. when you If you have, um, you know, a place where you feel very comfortable, you can find yourselves putting your guard down. So usually that happens at your home front. Maybe that happens at your relative's house. Maybe that happens at your mom and dad's house. Maybe that happens where there's a place where you put your guard down. I have realized in almost 20 years of ministry that, for me to best guard myself and guard those around me, that I can never put my guard down. Because what happens when you put your guard down? When you put your guard down, then you're more susceptible of saying stuff that you shouldn't say. 
When you put your guard down, the enemy can use that as an opportunity to stir up some strife and you find crap coming out your mouth that never should have came out your mouth. When you put your guard down, you find yourself more susceptible because you're tired, you're hungry, and all of a sudden you're cranky. At our house, we call it the hunger hawk. So when you get, if there are, if there are people in our house and they are too hungry, they will get irritable. So you would not like me when I'm hungry. It happens at our house. Or what happens is when, when they're tired and they're cranky, we just know that, that there's just that, Ur. it happens. Happens as, as us as adults. It happens to our kids. And so, so I guess if we were to do a self-inventory, ask yourself this. Ask yourself, I ask myself this, ask yourself, do I give my best to my job, to church, to other people, and then give my family leftovers? Do I do that as a, as a, as a man, as a woman, as a husband, as a wife, as a father, as a, do- as, a, as a mother? Do I give my best to everyone, and then when I go home, do my family, do they get the scraps that are left over from the day? If you find yourself doing that, then friends, we need, to, we need to adjust our priorities. Because the structure of family, when God, when he created family, it was his idea and his design, that was designed for us to give our very best efforts into that. And everything else should be secondary. But what's happened, especially in our culture, is we have so many things that are pulling at our attention and so many things that are pulling at our success and this, that, and the other, where we find ourselves being patted on the back at our job, but then we come home and we feel like we're getting the finger pointed at us. So we don't give our best at home. And so that needs to change. If you find yourself giving your best and giving leftovers, look at yourself in the mirror and say, you got to (laughs) stop. Just say, you got to stop that. My family deserves more than my leftovers. Your spouse deserves more than your leftovers. You can say amen right there. I've got two people that say amen. Thank you very much, Paul. Appreciate that. Paul and Aunt Margaret. It was right in that area right there. <laughs> That's right. If you know how good you got to just say amen. Just amen. So we're going to talk about number one, friends. Family is a gift from God. Family is a gift from God. Family is designed by God. It was his idea. And friends, Satan has been attacking and trying to destroy family from the very beginning. Even at the beginning of creation, we see Adam and Eve and their family unit. The enemy brought dysfunction in the very first family. If you think you have dysfunction or you had dysfunction growing up, at least you didn't get killed by your brother. That's a major Major dysfunction. <laughs> God created this thing. He designed for this thing. This is a beautiful thing. It's a gift from God. And at the very beginning, Satan has been out to destroy families. He's been, he's had, there's been attack on families, even this day and age. I think the, the attack has even become more ferocious. Our society today is in moral decline because the brokenness of families... Family is the building block of society, and when you have broken, dysfunctional homes, you'll create a broken and dysfunctional society. Families are the building blocks of society. Correct? Amen? So if you have have a society full of dysfunction, what are you going to have? You're going to have straight dysfunction. You can't function successfully when there's dysfunction. You can't have a successful society if dysfunction is all that is being functioned with. (laughs) 
<laughs> I know I'm just, I didn't even have coffee today either. I'm just in a good mood. I just woke up all sprite and chipper, happy. So just look at this. So when you see poverty, violence, broken self-worth, friends, that is all installed in a person at the home front. Let me say that again. When you find poverty, violence, low self-worth, addiction, strongholds, those are all instilled in a person, usually starting at a young age, and it starts in, in the home front. That's where it starts. And then, obviously, the fruit of it is out in their lives. So when you have a displaced father or an abusive father, then you create children who have authority issues. Do you think it's by accident that we live in, that we live in a culture now that has the largest rate of displaced fathers? In the urban culture, it is estimated 80%, 80% of children are being raised without fathers. Do you think that's by accident? No, that is absolutely on purpose. The enemy has, has sent out to sift fathers from, from their families because in doing that, what that does is that creates authority issues. How do I know this? Because you go into the jail, find out what the estimation is on how many inmates don't have fathers, either didn't have a father at home or had some sort of dysfunctional father or abusive father or whatever. It's like, it's like up in the 90s percent rate. So what do you have? You are now creating kids that have authority issues. Some people say, well, they have daddy issues. Well, a lot of times they have more than daddy issues. They have authority issues. They have a hard time submitting to authority. That's why we need mothers and fathers in the faith to rise up like never before. Paul said it. He said there are, there are many teachers but few fathers, meaning that there are a lot of people that can stand behind here and teach a good word, but are there people who are, who are willing to come alongside people and teach them how to do life and how to, you know, I'm going to show you how to live this life out, and I'm going to walk alongside you and do this with you. That's a father in the faith. That's a mother in the faith. And that's what we need. Friends, we need, we need less preachers and we need more spiritual fathers and mothers. So if the enemy is sifting them, then I believe it's our job as the body of Christ to rise up and, and, to, and to replace that. And, and we obviously can't do it all, but we, I think we can do as best as we can to be there, especially for young people who don't have that. I was blessed, you know, that you know, uh, the way I was raised, you know, obviously dysfunction in the home and things, and my mom did the best she could with my, with, uh, my dad, who was um, a womanizer and, and, and drug abuser and stuff. And so that's why at the age of 12 I started experimenting with drugs. It's why the, se- the sexual past that I had, it was all because those things were instilled in me from, from my parents, correct? So Luckily for me, when I committed my life to Christ at 18, there were men of God in my life who showed me how to be a correct husband, showed me how to be a correct father. And so I would consider those like my pastor who is now deceased. I considered him a spiritual father. The way that he modeled his family, the way that he treated his wife, that's how I learned. And we need those. You can say amen right there. We need those. We need those. So God's design was for a loving father and mother to raise their children together with grace, with nurturing and with grace. And God created this family to experience life together, to share experiences, memories, develop character, you know, have godliness through learning how to share uh, and, and walk through issues together, companionship, friendship, all this stuff. God created all of this as a gift for us. How lonely it is for those who don't have family. But again, the enemy, 
The Bible says in John chapter 10, verse 10, that the thief, look at your neighbor and say, thief, call him for what he is. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I love what Jesus says, but I have come that they might have life and have it to the full or have it more abundantly, depending on what translation, have it to the full. So God created family. He created it as a gift, and the enemy has been distorting it. Now, what's so cool, how many of us know that, you know, when God, when he does something, he gives us instruction. He's such a good father. He doesn't just say, okay, here, go learn how to do this. So <laughs> I'm, about to, uh, I'm about to share a little something here. I know you can go ahead and, and, and. so my son, Joshua, I'm going to talk about him since he's not here, even though this will be recorded, and I know some of his friends are here. So, um, so we just found out that, that he's been shaving his upper lip, right? You know, he's almost 15. He's been shaving his upper lip. So I'm like, you know, I use an electric razor. So, oh, I'm about to do it. Yeah, I'm about to do it. So I'm like, I said, honey, he's shaving his upper lip. The only razor in this house that I know of is your razor. So, so, I, so I asked him. I said, Joshua? are you using your mom's racer for your upper lip? He said, yeah. I said, Joshua, your mom uses that for her armpits, and you're like putting it on your face. So when I found that out, okay, right. Okay, what is a problem? When I found that out, I'm like, you know what? I went to Walmart. <laughs> like, this brother, we have to fix this. Went to Walmart, you know, bought him, bought him some shaving cream, bought him a real nice razor, bought him some aftershave, took it to him, said, here, man, I got a small gift for you. Please don't use your mom's razor again. <laughs> and I said, I said, and you, next time you do this, let me show you how to do this. I'm going to give you instructions on how to do this so that we're not cutting our face up and doing this wrongly, right? So God, how many of us know God gives us instructions? <laughs> he helps us out. He doesn't just push us out there. God gives, you know, there are so many biblical examples. God gives instructions on family. Do you know that? There are multiple, multiple verses on family. And so basically the rest of this, uh, the rest of this message is going to be scripture. And we're just going to read what God says, what God says to husbands, what God says to fathers, what God says to parents, what God says to kids, what he says to siblings. We're going to just, we're going to read some verses on the way God brings instruction on how we are to uh, appropriately have these relationships. And we're not going to get into all of the Leviticus because you start getting into Leviticus and Deuteronomy and all these things, and, and he gets into major detail on exactly like as, as a person, like who you are not supposed to be having sexual relationships with. And, and who you're, I mean, he really gets into it. He says, this person, don't do it with this, don't do it with that, don't do it with this person. I mean, he gets into, because obviously in this whole thing with, with marriage and relationships, the enemy has put his hand in, and we can get this thing all kind of kooky. So God says here, I'm going to show you the proper order in this thing. We're, we're, we're predominantly going to be reading New Testament scripture, and we're going to be reading Proverbs, so we're not going to get into all that. So number one, I just want to talk about, because I'm a man, I'm just going to just read some verses that talk about husbands and fathers. And so the Bible gives us some instructions on this from the very beginning. He says, Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, he says, a man must leave and cleave. Therefore, a man must leave his father and mother and shall cleave unto his wife. Leave and cleave. Mama, we love you, but, but the scripture gave us permission to peace out on you and love you, but bye-bye. Why is that? Because there's something inside of a man to protect. There's something inside of a man to provide. There's something inside of a man to, to be there. And so before 
you're married, it's like you've got that thing with your mom, you know. That's why they call them mama's boys. You ever hear that before? Joseph or Jacob was a mama's boy. He's in the tent, right? His brother's out hunting. <laughs> Jacob's in making soup with his mama. He's a mama's boy. So God knew that was going to happen, and so he even gives us instructions to say, okay, look, you know, bye-bye to mama, cleave to your wife. So that's obviously our first instruction as a man, you know, if, if, it's, if it's your mom's way or your wife's way, you better pick your wife's way. <laughs> Mama knew best up until you said yes. Okay? That's a, that just popped out of my mouth. I don't even know where that came from. Just kind of popped in there. First Timothy chapter 5, verse 18. I love, or not verse 8. First uh, Timothy chapter 5, verse 8. It says, anyone... Anyone who does not provide for their relatives and especially for their own household has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Tell me that ain't a strong cor correction for us to provide for our families. Yeah, it is. So as a man, we're called to provide. And it says if we don't provide, if we're not doing that, that it says we're worse than a sinner. We're worse than an unbeliever. So our instructions are to leave and cleave. A man is one that provides. A man is a one that sacrifices and loves. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25, this is as a husband and or as a father. If you are not a father yet, these are good verses for you to, to know. If you're not a husband yet, these are some good verses to learn. This will save you a lot of arguments. Chapter uh, 5, verse 25, it says, Husband, love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. I know I shared this. It's, it's just so funny. I'm going to share it again uh, two weeks ago when I was sharing on, on being married. And I remember when my wife came to me and said, Honey, you have, your job is a lot more difficult than mine. And I'm like, what are you talking about? She said, you have, all I have to do is submit. You have to die. <laughs> I'm like, dang, she's right. Because what happened? What did Christ do? He, lay, he, 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 loved, he loved and he gave himself up. What did he do? He gave his life for the church, right? And the Bible, I mean, there's so, many, there's so many parallels of Christ being the bridegroom and the church being the bride. And so that's what a husband does. A husband sacrifices for his wife. If somebody was to break into your house, I shared this last time. If someone's to break into your house and you're sleeping in there, do you say, okay, wife, go get them? No, no. You <laughs> Here's the nine millimeter. Go take hand in your business, baby. I'm going to go stand. No. No, a man, it's like. I, I, I've already seen there's like something inside of a guy. Like, it's like instinctive. Like when, when there was some stuff happening outside of our house, like it was like I woke up in the middle of the night, it's like 3 o'clock in the morning, and it's like, it's like this protection mode starts happening. It's like, you know what I mean? Like there's like this thing inside of him. I didn't even have to like work my way into it. There's just something inside to, to protect that you'd be willing to lay your life down. And so, so husbands, love your wives. Do that. So, yeah. <laughs> Dying is the easy part. It's living with them. That's the difficult part. So, man, I'm so glad my wife isn't here. I'm going to have to take her out to eat after this. <laughs> Colossians chapter 3, verse 19 says the same thing. It just says, husbands, love your wives and don't be harsh to them. What? Don't be harsh to your wife? Okay, there you go. There it is right there. Good night. Go home. Don't be, don't be harsh to your wives. A few more. Men, are you getting it? Yeah, I know. You're kind of getting it a little bit. It's all good. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4. It says, do not exasperate your children. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in training and in the instruction of the Lord. What does exasperate mean? 
Well, exasperate, what that means is that means to irritate, to infuriate, to provoke, to antagonize. Why is it that us guys like to antagonize? Like, what? I mean, am I the only one here? I don't know why. It's like deep inside of my spirit <laughs> to provoke, like just do that little bitty poke. God already knew that was going to be in there and gave instruction to say, okay, calm down now, son. Don't exasperate your children. Don't provoke them. Don't, don't antagonize them. But train them up in the way they should go. For example, this is usually how it works out. This is how, how it happens as a guy. So your son is crying in the St. Shua. So just letting you know. So your son is crying. And as a father, you don't want to be like, oh, baby, are you okay? You, you know, that's what mama's for. A, a father is like, suck it up, buttercup. Come on, get up. Stop crying. Oh, you want your mommy now? I mean, that's like, that's like, that's like our natural reaction. You know, that you, am I, I'm going home now. Good night. Goodbye, guys. Like, that's like how we, func- I, I don't know if that's, if that's me. So I have to stop. And my wife, will even, she's even had to point it out a few times. She said, honey, come on, stop doing that. <laughs> you, you, you're, you're provoking. Stop. So do not exasperate your children. Instead, train them up in the, in the instructions of the Lord. So don't, don't tell them. Suck it up, buttercup. Don't say that. That doesn't work with, with boys. Okay, uh, Ephesians 6, and then also in Colossians chapter 3, verse 21, it also says, says, do not embitter your children. How many, think about this, how many people are embittered because of their father figure in their life? They have a hard time because of, of the way their dad was when he was there or that he wasn't there. God knew, God knew, God knows he's bringing instruction. So if you're there, let's do our part to not cause them to have feelings towards us that cause bitterness, resentment. I think a lot of times that can happen by the way we correct our kids, by the way we discipline them, by the way our anger, angry outbursts can happen. So we just got to do our very best not to embitter them. And so this is some instruction for parents. I love this. It says in Psalms 1. 27, verse 3 through 7, it says, Children are a heritage from the Lord. They are a heritage. Offspring, a reward from him. Like arrows in the hand of the warrior are children born in one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. That's why we have four kids. They will not be put to shame when they contend with their opponents in court. So your children are a gift from God. Your children are a heritage. Your, your children, they're your legacy. They're a gift. Look at your neighbor. Look at your, if your child is sitting next to you, tell them, say, you're a gift. You're a gift. Yep, go ahead. Yep, you're a gift. You may not have been a gift this morning if you were arguing, but you're still a gift. Yep. If you were like, come on, hurry up. We're going to be late for church. They're still a gift. Hurry up. That's right. God gives good gifts. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 7, it says, train up a child in the way they should go. And, they, and uh, when he is old, he will not depart from it. So training up your child. So there's a, there's a portion in which parents, I'm not just talking about, about fathers and husbands now. Now I've kind of moved this to parenting as parents, so mothers and fathers. Say, say this word with me. Say train. Say it one more time. Say train. Train up. That's our, that's our instruction is to train them up. 
not to just expect them to just know it, but for us to actually instruct them and help them. You know, one of the biggest things that I find as a parent is, is teaching our kids how to deal with conflict. And the majority of the conflict is within themselves. Our brothers and sisters are, I just re- didn't realize when you have three boys, I mean, just like, I mean, they just knock heads all the time. And so I find, I find some, most of our teaching moments, most of our instruction moments and training moments have to do with teaching them how to get along and how to work through it. Because if they can work through it now, they'll be able to work through it when they're adults. If they never figure out how to work through it at a young age, what's going to happen when they get married? What's going to happen when they, when they have the, the boss that is just, you know, is just has something, a stick up his butt? What's going to, seriously, what's going to happen when, when they get pulled over and they don't feel like they've done anything wrong and the police has an attitude? So it is what it is. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 27. I should have put this on my paddle. I should have put this verse. It says, whoever spares the rod hates their children. But the one who loves their children is careful to discipline them. The word there is careful. Careful. I think a lot of times people can discipline and anger. My wife and I, we've come to a place in, in, in our uh, parenting where, where we, have, we have recognized when our child does something to anger us and we don't discipline them in that anger, we let ourselves cool down. And then if, if, if it's an accident, James Dobson teaches, teaches this, that you only discipline for disrespect or, or what was it, is it disrespect or, or, so, or they do um, dis, yeah, dis, rebellion, yeah, pretty, pretty much. So if they rebel against, basically they're not doing what they're told to do. And when they completely disrespect, like those are the two main reasons you should rear a child. But for an accident, we've realized we don't cry over spilled milk. Like yesterday, like my uh, my my son kicked the thing and like almost had like the TV fall down and like I'm like you know and and I just got upset for a second, I sucked it in, said it's okay, it's just an accident, you know I don't go screaming at him because he did an accident, okay, so careful discipline, say careful, okay, that's where I think a lot of people need to learn. I love that spare the rod, woohoo, pull my belts off right now, bat bat bat. Proverbs chapter 20, verse 7. I know, what's wrong with me today? Proverbs chapter 20, verse 7. It says, the righteous lead blameless lives. Blessed are their children after them. Say the word lead. As a parent, your job, your number one job is to lead. The old terminology, I've said it a million times, and I'll probably say it till I die. That old terminology, do what I say, don't do what I do, that doesn't mean jack. That does not fly. It doesn't fly today, and it didn't fly back then. I did at 12 years old what I saw my parents doing. My kids do what they see their mom and dad doing. And you know it when you hear your words come out of their mouth. Especially if you hear your words come out of their mouth towards their sibling. (laughs) It's just like, why do you got to talk like me? What's wrong with you? Anyways, so righteous lead blameless lives, blessed are the children. So when you lead correctly, when you lead in a way that honors God, then friends, you're going to find your children being blessed from that. Amen. Come on, folks, say amen. Right there, that's you guys. Amen. We, yes. Uh, yeah. 
How many of us know that parents are the most major influencing factors in in a child's life? Coaches are good, teachers are good, mentors are good, uncles, grandma, grandpa, all those are great. But the absolute most major influencing factor is the parents. That's why I love the book of Joshua, chapter 25, verse 15. It says this. It says, as for me and my house. It says, but if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourself this day whom you will serve, whether they're the gods of your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the God of the Amorites whose land you are living. But as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. That means you're going to lead it and they're going to follow. How do I know that that parents are the most influencing factors? Well, you can look in Acts chapter 10 and verse 2. This talks about the life of Cornelius, and this is what it says. It says, he, will, he and his whole family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God reg- regularly. How was his family, how were they devout and God-fearing? Because Cornelius was God-fearing and Cornelius was devout. Cornelius set the example, and, and so scripture, how would you like the word of God to say about your family? They were devout and God-fearing. That one verse, man, that's a legacy to this man's life for thousands of years. Why? Because parents are the most influencing factors in the life of a child. He and his whole family, they were devout. Love it. How many of us know that our sins can affect our family as well? Yeah. Go ahead, and you can just apologize to them right now if they're sitting next to you. Just say, I'm sorry. (laughs) I'm sorry that you got my anger issue. I'm sorry that you got my bad habit. Why? Because it says this. Check this out. It says this in Proverbs chapter 15. This just lets you know that your sin issues can affect your household. It says, the greedy bring ruin to their household, but the one who hates bribes will live. So a person that has, has, has a heart of just sharing a person's personal struggle affecting their whole family. Ask the addict, does it affect your family? Absolutely. So your own sin issues can affect your family. We have generational blessings, and we love that. Lord, give me the generational blessing, but there's also generational curses. He said, I will bless down to a thousand generations to those who love me, yet I will not let the wicked go unpunished down to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. They're going to have curse, cursed. So there's generational blessings. Say generational blessings and generational curses. And I 100% believe in generational curses because I broke those off my life, and I prayed for people and seen God break those off other people's lives. If you find yourself struggling with some of the same struggles your father did, Real quick, I know it says like I got like 12 seconds. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to preach over probably like two or three minutes, Anthony, if that's okay. Check this out real quick. So my grandfather, alcoholic, womanizer, adultery, all those things. My father, what? Alcoholic, womanizer, adultery. What do you think was coming down my line? Alcoholism. Adultery, womanizing. But when I committed my life to Christ, I committed my life to him, and I asked that God would break those things and those chains off my life. Apart from the, God, the grace of God, it don't, those things would have been 
always attacking me, and I probably would have given into them. So there's generational curses. There's also generational blessing. I've seen people where they live for God, and their children live for God, and their children's children live for God. There's like uh, Sister Juanita, who we just performed her funeral um, a month ago or two months ago. Her, her, her parents love God. She loved God. Her, her kids are in ministry loving God. Generational blessing. We want those, right? How many, how many of us know it's work? It absolutely is. Okay, for kids, if we got any children in here, if you got a mom or dad, you're a child, even if you're grown. Okay? You may be young, you may be a youngster, but we're talking to all children. So if you have a father or a mother, both. Here are the instructions for kids. This is what it says. Colossians chapter 3, verse 20, children obey your parents. All the parents are like, yes, amen. Mm-hmm. Come on, somebody read that again. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Remember what I said, though, right? You, you Obviously, you, you follow your parents until you're obviously, you don't obey them like that when you're grown. But if you're under the roof, then you got to obey. You got to listen. But this absolutely, now this verse is, there's, there's no time on this one. And this is Exodus chapter 20, verse 12. It says, honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. And I love the fact that actually in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1 and 2, which I didn't put up there, it, it quotes this and it says, the very first command with a promise. How is it that you're going to live a long life? Well, because your mama brought you into this world and she can take you out. So if, <laughs> so if you want to live a long life, you better obey your mom. No, I'm, has anyone ever heard that before? If you haven't, let me tell you, let me tell, it, tell you. She brought you into this world, and she can take you out. There's a, there's a promise. You know, I actually, I, I speak that promise over my life. If the Lord decides, you know, to shorten my life, then so be it. If the Lord, if he decides to come tomorrow, then so be it. But I, I hold on to that promise. I'm like, God, no matter what happens, no matter if I disagree with my, the life choice of my father or not, I still, I honor him. I speak blessing over him. I love him. When I talk to him on the phone, I try to encourage him. Dad, can I pray for you? Honoring them. Amen? Come on, somebody. Honor you. That's why, that's, why, that's why we have a society that's all screwed up, people, because people don't understand a culture of honor. When you honor somebody, it doesn't mean that you necessarily agree with them. You can honor somebody and, and disagree with them. For example, the President of the United States. The Bible says, fear God, honor the king. Who is the king of our country? The president that we elected. Do you agree with his policies? Maybe you do, maybe you don't. Doesn't matter whether you agree or disagree, we're called to honor him because he's the authority that the Bible says that God placed. Our parents are the authority that God placed in our life. So we got to understand honor, which means you don't dishonor them. You may disagree with them, but you don't dishonor them. You know, I, I, I may talk about some of the choices that my father made, but I never said, you know, he was an idiot. I never said he was, you know, cruel or wicked or anything. I never dishonor him like that. The Lord showed me that the reason he lived like that is because that's all he was modeled. So it gives me grace for that. Okay, it's gonna, we're almost done. 
I have two more verses here. Children, you still listening? Proverbs chapter, <laughs> amen. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 8. It says, listen, my son, this is the last verse for kids or children, not because you're not a kid. Listen, my son, to your father's instruction and do not forsake your mother's teaching. So a father's, <laughs> amen. Come on, somebody. Come on, just say amen. Just write, amen. Mm-hmm. Pull your kid up out of kids' church. Listen to this right here. <laughs> Listen to your father's instructions, your mother's teaching. So it's dual roles. Both are doing their part, right? I love that. And then finally, for siblings, so your, for your sister, your brother, all of those things, the person that you grew up with, the Bible does say, it says, uh, it says uh, uh, there's a friend that sticks closer than a brother, uh, and it, says, it also says that brothers were, were bred for, for uh, adversity. So I know this. I mean, it just happens, you know. But this is what the Bible says in 1 John chapter 4, verse 19 and 20. It says, we love him because he first loved us. So the reason we love is because of the love that he showed for us. And then he goes on to say, here it is. It says, whoever claims to love God, say claims. Claim it, name it, claim it, blab it, grab it, spit it, get it. If you claim to love God, yet hate a brother or sister, you're a liar. You're a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister who they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And I know this is generally talking about the body of Christ and talking about everybody and talking about every person that you see because you're a son or your daughter of God. We're all, God's our father. We're all brothers and sisters in Christ. But from a sibling standpoint, we're called to love them. We're called to love them. So if you say, I love Jesus, but then you treat people like crap, you treat your family like crap, you treat them like garbage, the Bible calls us a liar. I don't want to be a liar. I don't want to lie. I want to be a liar. We're called to love those in Christ. Say in Christ. In Christ. Because he first loved us. I love the fact that there are some cultures that have stronger affinity towards families. Like, for instance, I know like Latino families, Greek families, Italian. Like there's this culture that they have where there's a strong affinity in family. Like there's this loyalty. There's this... Um, I mean, just a strong, thing. you know, I love that, that there are certain cultures that have that. I obviously wasn't raised like that. But, man, let, let us, man, if we can tap into something that, that is a godly characteristic in culture, man, let us, as the body of Christ, as the family of God, let us tap into that, having that strong love and affection towards our family. Amen? Amen. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to end with Billy Graham because he was a mighty man of God. And he passed away at 99, leaving a godly legacy. Millions of people have been touched through his ministry. And this is what he says. And we're going to end on this. He says this. He says, the greatest legacy one can pass on to one's children and, gra and grandchildren is not money or material things accumulated in one's life, but rather a legacy of character and faith. So, friends, you can, as a person, set it up and have a lot of monetary things you can hand to your child, and that's, that's good and all. But, friends, if you want to leave something that's lasting to your kids, you want to leave a lasting legacy, 
deposit in them character, deposit in them faith, deposit in them the godliness, the things that God has called us to do. And in doing that, you're going to leave a longer legacy because those are the things that won't run out. Would you stand to your feet with me today? We're going to pray and then stick around. We have some gifts that we're going to give away. You guys still doing good? All right. I know that was a whole lot of word, but it's good for us to know the word. It's good for us to have God give instruction. Let's pray. Father, you've called us to love our families. You've called us to love them. You've called us to love those that you've placed in our household, and you've called us to love the family of God. You're our Father. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. We sing about it. It's in, the, it's in the Scripture. You've adopted us in your family. And so, Father, there is love that you've called us to have. And so, God, we ask today in the name of Jesus, Lord, if there's anything in our lives that are hindering us from loving the way you've called us to love, God, would you just show that? God, would you just expose that? God, would you bring that to the surface? God, if there's brokenness in our heart that's interfering with us being able to love, Holy Spirit, we ask for you doing a work that would bring healing and strength and grace. Father, if there's heartache and, and issues that we've yet to deal with, and so we find it hard, harder for us loving those. God, would you just give us the grace to love? If God, if there's contempt in our heart, where man, man, we out of the course of time have built up disrespect or dishonor towards those that are closest to us, whether it's a, a parent or a sibling or a spouse, Father, would you break those walls in the name of Jesus? And God, would you just equip us and empower us to love our families? And sometimes our families are the ones that are hardest to love because they look at us and they always see us as that. And so they always refer to us as this, maybe how, how it was when we were raised or maybe something we've done. Lord, help us to look, overlook that and to love them with the love of Christ. Would you just extend your hand forward and just ask the Lord, would you just fill me with more love, God? Fill me with more love, Lord. Fill me with more of your love that I might love the way you've called me to. Hallelujah. Yes, God. Hmm. Yes, Lord. Bless you, God. Thank you, Father. Thank you for Thank you for, God, extending your love and your grace. Thank you for empowering us to love even if we weren't taught that correctly. Thank you for infusing the love in us if we have been taught that correctly to instill that and invest that. In Jesus' mighty name, and all of God's saints said together, amen.